and we want to acknowledge all the women we're blessed to know. We rejoice over you, for your strength, your wisdom, your strong love, and your beautiful faith. Whether today is a celebration for you or a day of quiet reflection and healing, we're thinking of all of you. If you gave birth this year to your first child, our joy overflows and we celebrate with you. If you adopted a child this year or became a foster parent, we rejoice with you and we want to honor you in your commitment to changing the lives of children. If you continue to struggle with infertility, we are hoping with you and holding your hand in prayer. If you are exhausted and feeling underappreciated for all you do for a house full of kids, we applaud you. We love you and we appreciate you more than you can ever imagine. And if you lost a child this year to death or miscarriage, we weep and mourn with you. And if your child is lost to addiction or to the world, we hurt with you and we join you in putting our hope in the one who brings prodigals home. If you live with painful memories of your mom, we pray that you will find in a spiritual mother all that you never had from a birth mom. And if you're one of those amazing spiritual moms, we thank you for stepping up and being there when others couldn't. If you're experiencing an empty nest for the first time this year, we walk with you in this new season and are excited about the next chapter God has planned for you. If you're single, we celebrate your strength beauty and individuality, and join with you in praying for the desires of your heart. If you're a single mom and wonder if you have the physical energy and financial resources to raise and provide for your child or children, we want to help you, and we will. And if you're pregnant for the first time, we prayerfully anticipate with you the joyful birth of a healthy child. And to all the special women on this Mother's Day, rest and delight in knowing that we are thankful for you and we celebrate each and every one of you. Well, special happy Mother's Day to you guys. Uh, I, I must say, Gail would hate me to say this, maybe you would, uh, but uh, she did let out a little whoop of joy about that empty nest line in there, so, <laughs> so uh, we... Just telling. Um, we, we, that video expresses our heart, and we hope you feel that, every woman in the place. And, and I'd like to start off by just praying over all the women, not just the mothers, but all the women. Would you please stand and remain standing? I'm going to pray over you. The rest of us will. So every woman, please, in the house, if you stand, I'm going to pray over you. All righty, please receive this. Lord God, I want to thank you for every single woman here in this place that you created every one of them specially, Lord God, wonderfully, magnificently, and they're tenderly loved by you. Lord God, I pray that you would put your hand of blessing and favor and protection upon each woman. Whatever's going on in her life, would you be with her? Lord, may every one of them know and feel how deeply loved they are by you, the God of the universe, and may they see themselves as you see them. Lord, may each woman here drink deeply every day from the well that is Jesus. Lord, for all the women here who are in pain or heartache from any source, would you please pour out mercy, grace, and healing for them. 
Lord, if they've lost a mom this year, if they've lost a child this year, if they'd love to be a mom and it hasn't happened, for those who've had their hearts broken by a child, Lord, for those who are living, have had a difficult relationship with their own mom, for whatever reason, Lord God, would you please pour out your grace and healing. Lord God, for all the women here who are mothers, would you just fill them with joy, encouragement? Would you give them all wisdom and courage, endurance and love, Lord God, as they fulfill their high calling as moms? Lord, please bless all of the dear women here this morning in every way. And we pray together as a church in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Thank you so much. Thank you. We're going to pray the Lord's Prayer. It's on the screens. Let's pray it together, full voice. Pray with me now, please. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Lord God, we worship you because you are the Lord God Almighty, the holy God of eternity. And you are good, loving, kind, and merciful. And we see that in the shed blood of Jesus and his resurrection. Thank you, Lord, for a Savior. Lord, you know everything in our hearts. Would you please speak to us however we need to hear through your holy word, Lord, by your spirit. Lord, thank you that you've loved us first. Help us to love you back. Lord, we want to thank you that there's only one church in the city, and that's the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray for some of our fellow congregations, such as Declaration and Restoration. Lord God, such as Hope Point and Church Project, Faith Bridge, Faith Bible, and so many others. Every Christ-honoring church, would you bless them. Now, Lord God, we depend upon you, Lord God, to work in our lives and our hearts now because we need to hear from you. We bless you. We pray together in the name of Jesus, and everybody said, amen. amen. All righty. Well, as we've made it very clear, we hold all moms in high regard, esteem, affection. You know, what other role in human life and society has the inherent love, selflessness, servanthood that motherhood does? I've seen that uh, in my own wife's life for 30-plus years, and actually was seeing it yesterday again, and we got grown kids. I also saw it in my mother's life growing up, and, and uh, it's been a real treat to see that in our two grown daughters. Uh, one daughter, Sarah, li living with her family in Israel. One daughter, a very pregnant daughter, down here on the second row, Callie, uh, up here in front. So uh, it's been well said, I love this line, that mothering is not for the faint of heart, and we have real warriors in our midst. That's so true. And I want to extend a heartfelt Happy Mother's Day from the Woods Edge congregation to everybody here. So we're going to look at the perspective of women and motherhood from the eyes of Jesus. Jesus had so many encounters in the Gospels with women. 
in which he either spoke to a woman or he spoke to men and women about women. And, and there we have his perspectives. And it will be a, a refreshing reminder and a little bit of a startling reminder how different the perspective is of Jesus than our culture and society. And we need to take our cues from Jesus and not from our culture that we are swimming in. Now, in the Jewish world of the day, there was also some countercultural thinking. Every morning, a Jewish man would begin his day with a threefold prayer. He would say, Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, that I was not born a Gentile. Now, Gentiles are non-Jews, so that's just about everybody here. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, that I was not born a slave. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, that I was not born a woman. If you can imagine that that was the perspective of Jewish men of the day. Little girls, uh, teenage girls, women, they were rarely taught the scriptures. They did not have formal education. Uh, a woman would not talk with another man besides her husband and never touched another man. Women could not serve as legal witnesses in a court of law. Women could be divorced for trivial reasons and left in a vulnerable financial position because they didn't have the safety net of social security and uh, aid and that kind of thing. And even worse than the Jewish culture was the surrounding Greek-Roman culture where women were viewed basically as property. And so it was abysmal in the day. But Jesus was so countercultural in his perspectives and in the way he related to women. In every single encounter of the Gospels, he violates some kind of cultural norm or social norm in one way or the other. And get this, everywhere the Gospel has gone for the last 20 centuries, the status of women has been elevated. And this reflects the heart of Jesus Christ, who unfailingly treated women with respect, dignity, and love. Now, we're going to see several of these examples, either when Jesus is interacting with a woman or speaking about womanhood or about womanhood. We're going to have about a half a dozen passages or so, but um, uh, the first passage, would you stand now in honor of God's Word? I will not have you standing up and down uh, all during the message. <laughs> You'll be glad to know. Though some of you, that might be a little reminder for you. But um, for the first one. All right, this is the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5. And again, I'm looking for the perspective of Jesus on women and what perspective that all of us should have, whether or not you're a woman or a man. All right. Matthew 5, 27, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away from you. For it is better for you that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right eye causes you to sin, cut it off. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. This is God's word. Please be seated. Now, that's strong language, isn't it? In the strongest possible language, including a warning about hell, Jesus condemns looking at women lustfully. To look at a woman lustfully does not honor God, nor that woman, nor women. It is not okay because that woman is not an object for lust, but a person for love. It is not okay because that woman is not primarily a sexual being, but a human being. 
You know, I think it helps us to keep in mind and the way we treat other adults, men and women, that inside the heart of every woman is a little girl. And inside the heart of every man is a little boy. And we need to keep that sort of in mind and treat them accordingly as the Lord Jesus treated women and as he treated men. As human beings made in the image of God, precious for all eternity. Now, men in our culture, it is so vital that we see ourselves the way God sees us as protectors and not as predators. The whole cultural mindset that we swim in is that a predator toward women in terms of lust and the whole advertising, so much of the advertising world, entertainment world, and yes, sports world is built on that sort of perspective of women as sexual objects. And men, that is not who you and I are. Our society may try to convince you that you are a predator, but you are not. You are a protector. God put that in your heart. It is a lie of Satan that you are not. It's an outrage to God, and it should be an outrage to us that there are entire huge parts of our society and culture built on the foundation of viewing women lustfully. And the strong words of Jesus ought to give us all pause. And I know that pornography is not just a problem for men, but it can be a problem for women also. And that it's, parts of it are aimed towards both. But this morning we're talking about a view of womanhood and we should see women as precious daughters of Abraham, precious daughters of God, our potential precious daughters, as we see. John Piper wrote this way, we will in the age to come be dumbfounded as we look back on how poorly we were able to treat each other on the way to glory. There is an honor and respect and even reverence that we should show to each other as men and women. As we look at each other as daughters and as sons of Abraham, heir of God's promises destined together for unspeakable glory. So see each other, not only as the little boy or little girl inside who needs to be loved, tenderly loved and nurtured, who's been wounded and hurt, but also see each other as on the way to glory unspeakable. And we've got that perspective as Christ followers. And if we have the same perspective uh, that our culture has, that we see almost every time you turn on a TV or see an advertisement or a billboard, uh, something is wrong if that's our perspective too, when the Bible is so clear. A second passage where we see the heart of Jesus towards women is a little, more, little bit more oblique or a little bit more subtle. It's the very next passage in Matthew 5, 31, where we read, it was also said... Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now that passage, of course, speaks to divorce, and that's the main point. But that's not where I'm going this morning. What I want you to understand is that in that culture, with what Jesus was teaching, he is protecting women who could be divorced for any reason at all by men who kind of viewed themselves as, you know, kind of the masters of the house and uh, do whatever they want. Uh, in that culture, a man could divorce his wife for trivial reasons, you know, infamously one passage about burnt toast or something. And so what is Jesus doing? Well, keeping in mind 
that a woman who was divorced in that culture, who did not have jobs outside the home, and there wasn't a welfare system of some kind, they'd be financially reduced to begging or something, or worse. And so Jesus is protecting women and that kind of casual divorce. Now, in the process, he speaks to all of us about divorce because casual divorce is just as wrong in our day as in that day. There are biblical reasons for divorce, but they are for very, very significant reasons, like the one he gives here for sexual immorality. Very significant things and not casually. And so what is Jesus doing if not protecting the women of the day? Third passage. Interesting one. In Luke's gospel, Luke 7, 36. Now, now follow this. Imagine this. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and then kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And he, man he manages to be self-righteous and condescending, not only towards the woman, but towards Jesus, the God who made him. Now, this woman, by the way, she was violating all the social customs of the day to come in here and to touch him and, you know, whether use her hair and, and, and stuff like that. And she was a known sinner. Now, in the New Testament, there are a half dozen places where we see that kind of language. Known sinner, this is what it means. I mean, she was kind of uh, overt about it. it. This is probably prostitute or adulterer. It's probably what it's talking about. It's used of men too, tax collectors, thieves, uh, known sin. So Simon is harsh. He's disgusted. He's, he has contempt for this woman. And Jesus does not let his contempt go unchallenged. He doesn't. He challenges it. That's not okay. And this is what he does. He tells a parable. And then after the parable, he speaks directly to Simon. But he looks at the woman. That's very interesting to me. Notice the language. This is what he says in verse 44. Do you see this woman? He's talking to Simon. Why does he ask him, do you see her? Because he wasn't looking at her. He just was being judgmental toward her. He didn't see that little girl inside. Do you see this woman, Simon? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. That's a kiss of greeting. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, which was a custom in the day, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, Simon, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. Simon had not even seen who she was as a human being, a precious daughter of Abraham. And Jesus strongly rebukes Simon, and then he speaks to the woman in verse 50 and says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So what is Jesus doing with this woman but defending her from a self-righteous, judgmental, condescending, religious man? And we, as the church in today's society who are too often known 
for self-righteous, condemning, judgmental attitudes. Um, We're warned by the Lord against that. Now, there is a similar, even more famous passage in John 8 in which there's a a similar thing happens. A woman is caught in adultery, brought here. The the man who was caught in adultery is noticeably absent, and they're trying to trap Jesus in a couple of ways. And Jesus is just brilliant. (laughs) He's just brilliant. He he, he takes the woman here. She's right there, and they're saying, you know, you're a stoner, and they think they got him trapped. And he says, okay, you who are without sin, cast the first stone. (laughs) Shifts all the attention to their own sin away from her sin. And then he says, go and sin no more. Now, one woman, a blogger, wrote about John 8. Now, follow this because I'm going to unpack it. She, She wrote this, Christ never beat down a woman with harsh words or lusting eyes or sneering innuendos, but he stepped in and stopped a broken woman from the abuse of angry men. Christ came to the defense of a hurting woman, and the Son of Man stood between her ache and the attackers, and he lifted the weight of shame from her and cupped her heart with hope and wrote a new feature into the dust and dirt of everything, and he saved her life. Ah, Jesus is brilliant. Now, here's the anecdote. Okay, this past Sunday afternoon, a week ago, Sunday afternoon, we're having our groundbreaking service, and I'm standing out by the tent, and a a man that uh, in our church that I knew somewhat... Um, he came up and proceeded to tell me a story that involved this quote that I had given about five years ago. And I'd completely forgotten it, but he hadn't. He said, Jeff, about five years ago, you said this, and he kind of went through that, that first part about (laughs) Christ never beat down a woman with harsh words or lusting eyes or sneering innuendos, but stepped in and stopped a broken woman from angry men. He quoted that to me and said, Jeff, that really influenced me. I'd completely forgotten it. That really influenced me, and I've thought about it every day since. And I've learned it. And then he said, for a while I served as an Uber driver. And one day I picked up a man who was on the phone talking, but finally got off the phone, and we began to talk a bit. And he said to me... um, he said, well, I am the manager of this gentleman's club. And he called the name of a gentleman's club. And he began to brag about it, how clean it was and neat and fancy. And, and then he said, why don't you come to this club sometime? And my friend telling me this story. I mean, he's talking to his pastor here. He's telling me this story. <laughs> and he said to the Uber driver, I would never do that. And the man is taken aback. They said, why not? And he quoted this line, that Christ would never beat down a woman with harsh words or lusting eyes or sneering in you and those, but he stepped in and stopped a broken woman from the abuse of angry men. Wow. Um, You know, that little story, doesn't doesn't it accent how countercultural the gospel is? How countercultural the New Testament is. And, and if we're taking our cues from our society, I'm talking about our television, I'm talking about billboards, I'm talking about uh, social media, I'm talking about everything around us. If we're taking our cues there, then we're missing the boat because we take our cues right here. And that's why it is so vital that we, we soak in God's Word every day. 
Alrighty, another more mundane example, but yet very important, Luke 8, 1 through 3, says that soon afterward he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. Now, this is what's countercultural about this example, because a rabbi in that day, a teacher in that day, would never allow women to travel with him as if they were his disciples. But Jesus did. No big deal. And in fact, he would allow them to take the position of learning and discipleship, and that is sitting at the feet of the rabbi. They could do that because they needed to learn the scriptures and about God also. We've got a very specific example of that two chapters later in Luke 10, because there we see two sisters, Mary and Martha. Jesus goes to their house, and Martha, of course, is in the kitchen getting everything ready, which was standard fare. But Mary says, no, I'm not going to do that today. I'm going to go right in there because I don't want to miss a word that Jesus got to say. And she sits at his feet, the position of a disciple, and Jesus does not, does not kick her out. In fact, when Martha gets so frustrated at her and at Jesus for allowing it, uh, Jesus challenges her and defends Mary. In verse 41, we read, this is what Jesus says to her. He says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Jesus allowed women to effectively be his disciples. And then there's this passage in John 4, which you might think of right away when it comes to Jesus and women. And that is when Jesus encounters the Samaritan woman at the well. And this is a woman, and it was a Samaritan woman, which didn't have, Jews didn't mess with at all, Samaritans. And she was a Samaritan woman with quite a checkered past. And when the disciples came back from town where they were getting some groceries, and saw Jesus with this woman with that threefold barrier there, uh, guess which one of those barriers they were flabbergasted about. We see it in 27. They marvel that he was talking with a woman. <laughs> but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? And they probably are used to the idea that Jesus doesn't conform to their little boxes. <laughs> Jesus was teaching this woman. And he taught her incredible things about the nature of eternal life and who he was and about worship. And then he saves her and he uses her to reach her city. Down in verse 39, many Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So Jesus goes to this Samaritan city, saves the whole town basically. He could have chosen any person in that town. And isn't it like Jesus to choose a woman, a woman with a, quite a past to show his grace and to show how he views women? He breaks all the barriers. At the end of his life, when Jesus was arrested, tried, and convicted, and crucified, it's interesting that the gospel seemed to, 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 to take extra measure to point out that, you know, the men dispersed, but the women tended to stay back. Luke uh, 23, 30, 27, there followed him a great multitude of the people and of, a, of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. Verse 49, all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee 
stood at a distance watching these things. That was after the men had scattered. Verse 55, the women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. And it's noteworthy, not just that the women tended to, you know, stay around and stay close, but that God writes that in Scripture so that every generation of readers could know it. They were there. And it's like God is going an extra mile just to point out the dignity and the value of women. And then the very next chapter, the resurrection account, if you were here on Easter, I went over this. But Jesus really, I mean, to appear first to women and not to men, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene and some other women, and they couldn't even be eyewitnesses in a court of law, and yet that's who Jesus first appeared to, to be witnesses of the resurrection. Quoting Philip Yancey, women were the first witnesses of the resurrection, a fact no conspirator of the first century would have invented. Jewish courts did not even accept the testimony of female witnesses. A deliberate cover-up would have put Peter or John, or better yet, Nicodemus, in the spotlight, not built its case around reports from women. Since the Gospels were written several days after the events, the authors had plenty of time to straighten out such an anomaly, unless, of course, they were not concerned concocting a legend, but recording the real facts. Just another um, testimony to the, the way the Bible, the way God, the way the Lord Jesus treats women. We don't know why he had them first, but that's exactly what our sovereign God did. He elevates their position. Now, finally, and most significantly, when it comes to Jesus and women, think about this. When the sovereign triune God of all eternity. Now, keep in mind that the sovereign triune God is spirit, is spirit. Not until Jesus Christ comes, does one of the persons of the Godhead, God the Son, take on a body. He's got a body forever and ever. The spirit and the Father is spirit in ways that we don't fully concoct or fully understand. Now, when the Son of God comes and takes on a human body, becomes a human being, he does not come as a fully formed 25-year-old or 30-year-old man, so he's ready to teach us and then die. But rather, he becomes, he comes into the holy space of a woman's womb, not only giving honor to that woman, but to women and to motherhood in general. This is God. In a woman's womb. Jesus hallowed womanhood and motherhood. And if we are followers of Jesus, we will hallow motherhood and womanhood in every area of perspective. We must know that the heart of Jesus for women and for little girls is that they are daughters of Abraham and they are daughters of God. How does that fit in with internet pornography and with the Texas cheerleaders and so much else in our society? One writer put it beautifully. Jesus is the greatest liberator in the universe. And freeing women to their God-given callings is one of the things he does best. Among other things, this would include the following. In the spirit of Mary Magdalene, the first woman to set eyes on the resurrected Christ, women are free to testify to the good news of Jesus and the resurrection. In the spirit of Mary, the mother of Jesus, women are free to fulfill God's will and calling, saying, be it done to me according to your will. In the spirit of Mary of Bethany, women are free to worship Jesus Christ extravagantly and free to sit at his feet as disciples along with the male followers. In the spirit of Anna, women are free to prophesy by the Holy Spirit. 
Women are called to serve as spiritual priests along with the men because they are part of the priesthood of all believers and they too possess the Spirit. And every single Sunday in our benediction, I proclaim that all of us have been made a kingdom of priests, men and women. In the spirit of the Canaanite woman who persisted in her request for Jesus to heal her daughter, women are free to press into the kingdom of God and wrestle with God until they receive his blessing. In the spirit of the women who travel with Jesus, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Susanna, and the others, women are free to follow the Lord wherever he goes and serve him out of their substance. In the spirit of the Samaritan woman whom Jesus met at Jacob's well, women are free to pioneer evangelism and church planning initiatives. The call to follow Jesus as a full-fledged disciple and the call to serve God goes out to all women just as it does to all men. Church, do we not see in this brief survey how countercultural the perspective of Jesus about womanhood and women is compared to our society and how women are treated today and how so many women have been brainwashed to see themselves. God sees you. And men, God sees our sisters as holy women of God, precious, much-loved daughters of Abraham. Amen. And men, no matter what our culture does and no matter what our church culture does in the United States, may we be followers of Jesus Christ and set the bar high for how we treat women with dignity and honor by God's grace. Please stand with me. Lord, help us. Lord, help us. Help the women here, Lord God, see themselves not as society does based on the size of the body and the fame and things like that, but help every woman here to see themselves as so loved and so valued by you. Lord, help every man here to see women, to see daughters and wives and mothers and, and women in society, not as sexual objects, but as human beings loved by you. Lord, we surrender ourselves to you, and we want to please you, and we want to love other well, others well. Lord, these are our prayers in Christ's name. Okay, church, our Savior did not only give us this staggering teaching, but he dies on a cross, a bloody cross, for your sin and mine. Because none of us measure up. But Jesus did. Jesus did. And he died for us. He saved us. So as we take the communion elements, we worship him. That he has washed our sins whiter than snow. Come and worship.